What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from the shop in KCK. If you've tuned into the Fundamism Podcast before, you know that the shop is where my guy Larry Perez hangs out, where he does all of his web services, because he is the most phenomenal web guy that I've ever met in my whole entire life. Uh, but he's also a friend. Thank you for being a friend. We are brought to you, as always, by Charlie Hustle. So if you're interested in learning more about Charlie Hustle and their fresh duds, go to charliehustle.com. Today's guest I've been trying to get on for roughly one year, uh, and today it's happening. It's finally happening. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jared Gooth. Hey, Jared. Hey, do you remember Tollbooth Willie? From Adam Sandler, you don't? No. I'm coming out of the booth. You don't know that. <laughs> Jared, what's good, brother? Oh, you know, everything. Is it, though? Oh, yeah. All right. I no, I'm, God, no. No, Not yeah. Everything's always good. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no, we're we're going to talk about that. He's a liar. <laughs> hey, Jared, what do you do for fun, man? Uh, well, I'm a musician, so I like being poor for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I absolutely love playing music. I love, uh, I love, uh, getting new musicians up on stage. I had the opportunity to do that last night. I had a show and, um, there's some musicians who haven't been on the scene as long as I have and, and some that had, and we had musicians show up to my show and I just said, I've got my guitar ready. You're getting up on stage and you're playing. So I like pulling people up out of their comfort zone and getting them up on stage. And that's enjoyable for me to kind of help push people. So that's what I do for fun. But I do a lot of other things for fun as well. Well, let's explore those as, too, uh, as well. But before we get into that, sure. you said a lot of things that really resonated with me. Specifically, you said, uh, you know, pushing people out of their comfort zone. So the last fundamental. So fundamentalism is all about the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. So whatever you do for fun is a fundamental. And, uh, you know, we often talk about stress in our lives and sure. how to push through those things. And it really just boils down to my belief, which is if you gravitate more towards the things that lift you up as opposed to the things that tear you down, then sometimes these bad thoughts, these stressful moments, they start to, they start to mitigate themselves because I believe it's physically impossible for you to think about something positive that makes you smile and at the same exact time think about something that tears you down. So in short, the last fundamental that we featured in the Fundamism podcast was stretch yourself, which is all about getting out of the proverbial comfort zone and trying something new. So I love that you tried that. I also heard the humble brag. You said a lot of these musicians haven't been in the game as long as you. So, Well, I'm old. It's not, it's not being <laughs> humble. <laughs> how old are I'm you? No, I'm, how long have you been in the music game? Uh, in well, the biz, as we call it. Yeah, the biz. I, I didn't start playing until late. I was probably like 18, 17, 18, something like that when I really took it seriously. It was just kind of a guitar was hanging around. And then I just uh, went to town, man. I became obsessive about it and spent like five hours in my room playing all the time and going through stuff, um, trying to learn other people's music. But, but I knew that uh, I wanted to create and I wanted to make stuff up because my mind's always racing. I got to get stuff out somehow. So... Uh, and I am now, I'm getting ready to turn 41, believe it or not. Get out of town. Get right in town. Dude, you that don't is, look a day over 40 and a half. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. That would be young. I carry the, yes. Yeah, because it's only a couple months. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. Did I give you credit where Thank credit's you. due? Man. So uh, you started young, and you've had the opportunity to connect with some pretty phenomenal f f f f f f 
phenomenal <laughs> falafels, uh, phenomenal musicians, one of which he used to roommate with, right? Yeah, uh, my roommate, uh, Andy McKee, at one time. And, um, but, you know, Andy's, Andy's on a different level. We're not, <laughs> you know, it's like you could learn whatever you want and then watch him play and be like, oh, okay, I have some firewood sitting back behind me, so that's cool. Uh, no, he, Andy's uh, a wonderful friend to me and, and uh, kind of like a brother to me. So um, we, have a, we have a good, strong connection and always love hanging out with that dude. So, uh, when you t- so for the ignorant folks listening in that don't know who Andy McKee is, like myself, uh, he is a phenomenal guitar player, like Correct. one of the best that you've told me that you've ever interacted mm-hmm. with. What makes him so great? Uh, his songs. Yeah. I mean, he's phenomenal technique, everything like that. But if you listen to his music, you'll find yourself a week later humming his stuff. Mm. And that's just, that's where it's at. Sure. The guy knows melody. He knows how to put a song together. I mean, he's just phenomenal at it. So to me, it's, it's like you have, you have some people on the spectrum that can just improvise and you know, have that ability to do that. And he can do things like that, but his writing is, is really where it's at. I mean, he's just phenomenal. Sure. So, well, I know that it always stinks being compared to others and that's not my intent here. Uh, the intent here is to illustrate the fact that, you know, we have a lot of, uh, development conversations, right? Yeah. How you get better and how you stretch yourself, like you had mentioned earlier. And oftentimes, you know, it's known that if you surround yourself with great people and that have a strong skill set, then you're most likely going to be better as a result. And that's why I love hanging out with you, man. Like you're very strong at improvisation. Um, one of the funniest dudes that I know, like we'll just break. Not today though. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into it. (laughs) I'm going to get you out. I'm going to totally get you out, dude. Uh, stop being so reserved. I'm so, I'm very timid. You're not timid. You were doing your Cleveland uh, impression (laughs) earlier at all. What? What am I talking about? Listen, what I'm saying is this Andy McKee, I'm sure that when you live with him and seeing his skill set, seeing how phenomenal he was, it drove you to improve your particular skill set in. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, when, when I met Andy, I was ready to give up the guitar. Cause I didn't, I hated the sounds like I was learning classic rock songs and I just, uh, it wasn't for me. And I felt like there was not the, the sound that I actually really enjoyed was not there anymore. And so I almost quit guitar completely and thought, you know, even though I was obsessive about it and everything like that, I was just like, man, I just can't, uh, keep playing the same old classic rock songs. It's boring to me. And then I walked into, uh, music store and Andy was playing on acoustic like in, in a way that I had never seen before and the sounds that he was getting it was just huge and full and absolutely beautiful and and it changed it changed the way that I uh, approached the guitar and I fell in love with the acoustic guitar and found music that way and and so that was a that was a huge thing but yeah it just I, I was ready I was ready to be done if I had to play Mustang Sally one more time <laughs> oh man Oh man! <laughs> oh man! So, which uh, I think actually Mustang Sally. No offense to people in Minnesota, but I used to live up there, and I feel like it was their state song because every bar I went into, everybody was playing Mustang, Mustang Sally. Sally. Yeah, it was How's like it a requirement. Mustang Sally. Yeah, is that that's not it at all? No, you got it. That's fine. Nice. <laughs> you know what? Uh, your description of that uh, kind of rekindling moment, or you know, invigorating moment for you that sure. said. I'm ready to kind of take this to the next level and try something new. When you saw Andy and he was playing acoustic, really describes the first time that I met you. Um, 
we had a beautiful interaction. I looked at you and I thought, oh my gosh, this, this guy. It was across the room. Yes. Because I was told that I wasn't supposed to get any closer to you. True, true. <laughs> but I mean, uh, you had your guitar and you started playing and nearly identical to how you described your interaction with Andy or your experience there is how I would describe the feelings that I had when I saw you play. I had never seen anybody play the guitar like you. Oh, thank you, man. And uh, no, I didn't say it was good, dude. I just said I'd never seen anybody play it like you. Jerk. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, But no, you are phenomenal. And specifically, I remember being brought to tears uh, because of your music and specifically what your music stands for. We're going to talk a lot about that. But we connected through uh, Larry, obviously, as, as many of you may be aware, but um, we did a fundamental listening to music with purpose. Mm -hmm. And we used to have these get togethers where we would invite people to come to the shop and hang out and experience things. And one of the fundamentals, I believe that music is powerful. I believe that you could find any song to evoke whatever emotion that you want to feel. So if you want to cry, you can cry. You want to, you want to laugh, you could find a song. If you want to smile, you could find a song. And so we did this event. We threw this event where we featured the fundamental listen to music with a purpose. And you were essentially the headliner. We had three or four different musicians and every single one of them knocked it out of the park. And I, I hadn't right. seen any of them prior to seeing you. And the way that they interacted with the audience and told their stories through song and then described what those songs meant to them and how they came to their minds and all that stuff was absolutely phenomenal. But then you get up as, as the final act and you, you just blew everybody away. And specifically, I remember Scott Wilson, father of Noah Wilson, of Noah's Bandage Project, comes up to me and he says, do you, do you think that guy will play for us? Do you think it will do more work? Because this guy is absolutely phenomenal. And so that was the moment that I connected with you because music is super powerful to me. And knowing there's a lot, you've played the songs that you played that night. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Sure. Do you agree? Yeah. But the way that you play them and the emotion with which you play them is uh, bar none one of the coolest and most uh, amazing experiences that I've had in music before. Sometimes it's just, uh, you know, getting on stage uh, for me feels comfortable. Um, I know a lot of people shy away from that, but I, I relish in it. That's where I feel most at home, um, especially when uh, I, I can kind of control the atmosphere of what's going on. Uh, but I, you know, I just, uh, I, I close my eyes sometimes and it's, it's exactly whatever emotion and feeling that I'm going through at that moment, which is a ton because I'm super sensitive guy. So to whatever extent you're comfortable, uh, Jared, lots of folks find that's what fundamentalism is. It's an outlet. It's to gravitate towards something that lifts you up when you're dealing with something. And you just mentioned or alluded to that this is comfortable for you. You close your eyes and you're in your, your comforting space. And it's, it, it could it be described as almost an escape or yeah. you know, something that yeah. allows you to, to just block out everything that's not working in life? Yeah, so my mind races all the time. And if I'm not doing something, there has a tendency to be some anxiety. So I have to just keep going and keep going and keep going. But when I'm up on stage and when I'm playing music... It, none of that really matters, you know. I get I get a little nervous before I go on stage all the time. I don't know why, um, but uh, I get a little bit nervous, and and then that f- once I get through that first you know few chords or whatever of the song, it just all kind of goes away. Mm. And I start having fun and and uh, having a good time with the audience and everything like that. But I can tell you, after a show, 
I have a tendency to be physically and mentally drained because uh, I do a lot of improvisation. And so it's a lot of trying to be creative. And I've taken these shows as a challenge where somebody says, we need somebody for three hours. I'll play a three-hour show and I'll know like eight songs. So the, the rest of the show is improvised. And, and when I'm done, um, it's always funny because people will say, Hey, uh, do you have that song recorded? <laughs> I go, if you got it on your phone, it's recorded. You know, that, that's it. That's that moment. And then I kind of let it go. It's like uh, having uh, emotions or feelings for a moment, and then you just let them go. Right. And so it is a huge release. And then I'm, after a show, I'm just, I can be pretty drained. Well, what's interesting about that, everything that you just said is when you were prepping for our fundamental, mm-hmm. right, listen to music with purpose, you started just freestyling and playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about two or three hours before the show. And I was sitting there just in awe. And those of you that know me know how powerful music is in my life. And like I was watching you again, this is nobody else's around besides Larry and I. Tears are like in my face, streaming down my cheeks. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, dude, will you play that tonight? And you go, I don't know what I just played. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, literally, I was just, I was just freestyling. Yeah. So, that's one of the things that I admire about you is that that creativity. And a lot of people lose that as we grow older. And I would venture to guess that um, you've, you very well know this, and it's why individuals like me uh, have a career. Lots of people deal with stress and anxiety. Sure. And so finding that outlet is super important. And that's the whole, that's the whole principle behind fundamentalism. So when you discovered music at the age of 18... Mm-hmm. Was that the moment where it clicked? What was your outlet prior to that? Did you experience a ton of anxiety leading up to the time where you found music? Uh, I just asked like yeah, oh, seven yeah. questions. Yeah, that is a lot of questions. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> and maybe. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I mean, I had, I had anxiety and stuff in, in school and everything. I wasn't a great student at all. I think I frustrated my parents. You're still not? No. I'm a better student of life than I am classroom. That is true. Um, but, uh, you know, my, I think my parents and everybody was pretty frustrated with me because I would purposely not do some homework just because I was bored all the time. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. It's boring. So music was like the first thing where I had total and complete focus and drive. And so that's kind of where I found that at. And so that, that's what really helped me there. Well, speaking of school, uh, we have some fond memories from school, all of us do. Mm-hmm. And I recall when I first moved to Oswatomie, Kansas, home of the state hospital. So you know now why I'm a little <laughs> right. awesome, is what awesome. I mean yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that I really looked forward to in school in the fifth grade was a little game called Oregon Trail. Do you remember this? Uh, barely. You familiar with this? I've never heard of it. Um, I died of dysentery regularly. Okay. Okay. But I think a lot of folks remember this game and it was cool (laughs) because like it was a way to learn. And this is a huge deal in society right now, especially in corporate America is finding a way to take content, uh, developmental content, whether it's curriculum for new hires or whether it's, um, you know, culture or whatever it may be, but finding a way to make learning fun. And for me, Oregon trail was the first, the first foray into that. Oh yeah. And I looked forward to it, man. Yeah. So fast forward from the fifth grade to when we met, listen to music with a purpose, the fundamental, the night, uh, that sparks flew. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, it was, uh, you played a song 
and it was called Oregon Trail. Right. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so Oregon Trail for me was, that was my game back in the day, and I absolutely loved playing it for two reasons. One, I could get out of class. Yes. And, and two, it was just, um, it, it was like we played it as a classroom activity, so it was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I like doing this. But two, it just, uh, it, it was such a challenge, you know, to get through. And I don't, you know, rarely did people make it all the way through. They died of something. Um, and, uh, and that's actually the meaning of life. No. That's absolutely true. <laughs> I just put that together. Dude, that oh was God. really good. Yeah, that's deep. Oregon that, Trail Les is Brown life. said that, actually. Yeah, I think he did. Oregon Trail is, is a lot life. like life. Yeah. Yes. You, you die of dysentery. Speaking of which, you wrote a song about it. I did. I did. I wrote a song about it because uh, that that game has always stuck with me. And uh, I've got on my desk at work, I've got a picture that my brother gave me, and it's a uh, Oregon Trail, and it's like the green <laughs> ox yes. and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. And it says you have died of dysentery. And, <laughs> uh, and I, I think that game, I've always referenced that like throughout my life. So, um, I was finally like, you know, I really want to write a song about this. And I had the, and let me tell you something. I know absolutely nothing about the real Oregon trail. (laughs) I thought it was fake for years, (laughs) like a trail based off a video game. That's nice. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's a lot like life though. Right. Oh, the game life <laughs> the game is based life. off of life. It's <laughs> true. We're putting it all together here, folks. Hey, listen, we go deep on the Fundamental <laughs> Podcast. So for the first time ever, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have an individual today, Mr. Jared Guth, is going to play wow, that is- his infamous <laughs> song, Oregon Trail. He wrote a song about it. You want to hear it? Here you go. Thieves in the night, we were robbed 
across the river or we'll take a ferry the love of my life died of dysentery on the organ trail you know that we could fail on the organ trail you know that this could be heaven man this could be hell All this could be hell Dude, I love you so damn much. <laughs> I, uh, I've heard that song probably five times, mm-hmm. and uh, the emotion still hits me as though I hit it for the first time, or heard it for the first time, and specifically, because again, whenever you play, I feel the emotion. Like mm-hmm. I feel that this is your passion. And who could take us a, a video game like Oregon Trail and turn it into a, a life lesson to come back right. to what you said earlier? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, because you know, on Oregon Trail, we could fail, right? We could fail. And this could be heaven and this could be hell. It's all up to you, man. It's all up to you. And so that's kind of like, you know, obviously we talk about a mantra for life, but you and I have connected at a deeper level over the course of the last year or so and specifically talking about trials and tribulations and... um you are a creative, and that is an outlet for you. 
and not just through music, but you have the ability to do that for your job as well, based mm-hmm. on my understanding, right? Correct. So talk to us a little bit about what you do for a living. Um, so I work for a uh, business in Topeka, Kansas, and it's... Uh, Shout it's, out to Topeka! Topeka! Um, but it, yeah, it's the uh, Bajillion Agency Action Coach. It's a business coaching firm, marketing firm, and uh, we have Motovike Films, which is a film agency as well. So uh, the fun thing is, is that um, we were a small crew when we started, and we've grown exponentially so within the last few years, and, and that's super cool. Um, but uh, got to do some commercials and things like that, working with, with Motovike Films, and we've had a blast on those. And so I have, I have some commercials. My son was in a few commercials and, and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, day-to-day, you know, it's working, working with a really strong team of, of uh, business coaches and leaders. So it's, it's awesome. So uh, a couple of things that I want to ask you about there. So um, you mentioned your son, mm-hmm. uh, which we're going to talk about, Maxwell, sure. who's absolutely amazing and hasn't had the easiest of, of uh, journeys, if you will. So um, can't wait to talk a little bit more about that and the impact that he's played in your life. But you mentioned these commercials and the joy that they bring you. Mm-hmm. You'd actually sent me one uh, several months ago, and it was, uh, what was it? It was a spin-on in the office, right? Yeah, so that one was, uh, <laughs> we, we used to have these growth clubs. And uh, it was like a, a group business coaching type of situation. And we, I, I worked with uh, Josiah Ingstrom on a commercial to um, kind of promote that. And so we wrote this commercial and, uh, and several of the team members acted in it and everything like that. But um, <laughs> I came up with a character called Stan Hauserwitz, who uh, owned a business of, it was a typewriter leasing and shoes <laughs> company. And uh, he's he's pretty oblivious to his numbers and not knowing on what's going on in the business, and so he gets all excited about the numbers being up. And I actually got that idea: the numbers are up. At a, one of my best friend, her wedding, they had a uh, attached to her room after the wedding, um, the, the hotel room was like a business board room, and so I had everybody sitting around this table. And they had a whiteboard, and I started going through my business plan for everybody. Of course, we had a few drinks, but and so <laughs> we had called the front desk and got markers, and we had arrows going up. And I'm, I kept just yelling, "The numbers are up!" And uh, it means absolutely nothing. But for some reason, you always but see not like to Stan Hauserwitz. Not to Stan Hauserwitz. Well, it turns out old Stan Hauserwitz uh, had the uh, paper upside down, so the arrow was actually going down. Oops. Yeah, and it was pretty dramatic at the. <laughs> So that was a really fun video to do. Yeah, yeah. that's on YouTube, right? I think so. I think, yeah, it's on YouTube. Uh, I'm certain if you Google Stan Hauserwitz, there's probably only one. (laughs) (laughs) Typewriter leasing and shoes. (laughs) I feel like that's a pretty strong business model that not a lot of people are doing. Yeah, leasing typewriters and selling shoes. What kind of shoes do you think they sell? Typewriter shoes. Which would be? Those old black clunky shoes that make a loud noise when you walk in them. Yes. What are those? Typewriter shoes. Typewriter <laughs> shoes. They're a type of shoes that you can write in. Right. Writer Hence, shoes. Typewriter <laughs> shoes. So uh, Maxwell's had the opportunity to be in a few commercials, you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we transition to him, you'd miss you you'd mentioned business coaching. Mm-hmm. So part of that obviously um, is advising individuals on, first of all, figuring out where they currently are. Correct. Where they aspire to be. Sure. And kind of developing a plan to help them get there, right? Mm-hmm. 
We both know, uh, as we've connected over these subjects, that sometimes it's very difficult for us to heed our own advice. And so we hear or we come up with these very strategic plans on helping others improve, uh, but unfortunately, we can't always follow suit in identifying the same methods to improve um, in our own particular lives. I know Larry and I have talked about this quite often. Larry is absolutely phenomenal in giving me guidance in life, and I can honestly say that he's been a major catalyst to the success, albeit minimal, that I've had thus far. Um, but you know, we often talk about when he presents things in his life, and we talk openly, and I give him the same level of guidance that he gives me, the answers are right there. And he always says, I know. And he, he always says the same thing over and over and over again. And what's amazing to me is I look up to that gentleman so much in terms of guidance and business knowledge and personal growth. And he's just like me. Mm-hmm. And he's just like you and trying to find out his own path and what that looks like. So that obviously relates very heavily to your journey with Maxwell. So can you uh, let the audience know a little bit about Max and uh, who he is, what he stands for, and, sure. and what he's uh, been dealt in his life? Um, yeah. So first of all, I, w- I want to say that you're absolutely right. Um, talking with both you and Larry, and we've gone out and had conversations, and it's like all three of us work on some sort of uh, infinite plane of wisdom that we already had ourselves, and we're just spewing the stuff that we know. Right. And it's always encouraging. So uh, it's it's been really great uh, knowing you guys and, and being able to have those conversations because they're much deeper than than uh, I would have on my own. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so Maxwell, <laughs> he's, he's 11 now. He's a great kid. Uh, you know, it, it's really funny. I, I, I didn't realize how, I think, at times selfish I was in life uh, prior to having a son. And when he was born, um, I think it just kind of changed my world and made me realize that, you know, it's not always all about us. We want to take care of ourselves. We want to do the best that we can for ourselves because we got to be in a good place to take care of others um, and to make sure that others are comfortable around us and whatever. Get as deep as you want. Um, Super deep. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some of us can get deeper than others. I, I had a I had a immediate um, connection with my son as most people do probably with their kids, but we just became I best friends. <laughs> yeah, I hated my kids. No, seriously, for the first year of my kids' yeah. existence, both of them, I struggled to find out what mm-hmm. my role was, right? Because they were so attached to mom for multiple reasons, sure. right? Uh, the the necessity the, for growth and the motherly instincts and all that stuff. But oftentimes I felt like, well, what the hell am I here for? And how can I connect? And, and sometimes it was discouraging. Mm-hmm. And I would see the connection that they had with uh, Melissa, my, wa- my wife. Um, and unfortunately, I'd be like, gosh, I want that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the exact opposite experience for me, obviously, right. super excited about having a child. Oh my gosh, we helped, I helped create this beautiful mm-hmm. or magnificent creature, but I was lost for the first year of both of their lives. So I, it amazes me to hear the other experiences that other parents have because it's all different. Sure. There's a mantra for life in there. Yeah. <laughs> have kids on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it could be heaven. It, it could be it, hell. It could be hell. Yeah. So uh, sorry to steal the line no, right there. That's but okay. That's okay. Um, basically, I, I just... I knew that when he was born, I wanted to be there for him and everything like that. So, you know, it was just uh, immediate, like, this is, I want to take care of this guy. Like, he's awesome. He's changed my life. And, and uh, you know, I was 
I, I, I wouldn't say like I was headed for prison or anything like that, but <laughs> I was pretty wild back in my day, and uh, he helped kind of bring me back to uh, reality and what I should be doing. So um, in a lot of ways, he, he kind of uh, helped save me from, from making bad choices. So uh, skip a few years, you know, we, we realized that uh, his development – in terms of his physical ability isn't isn't uh isn't really um progressing in some ways and uh he got into first grade and his teacher in first grade said you know we tried to take pictures and max is just real shaky and and uh he had a hard time balancing and we knew kind of there were some issues there trying to figure out what's going on we'd seen several doctors nobody could figure anything out and then uh, it took it took several years to figure out what's going on. They finally did uh, because his gait would get worse and worse, and he'd have to hold in hand and everything like that. So um, just going through that, you know, and then and then uh, took him to up to Children's Mercy, and um, they did some blood testing and found out that he they diagnosed him with something called Friedrich's ataxia, which is a genetic. Um, disorder. And so it's a genetic, genetic disease disorder. I don't, I never know the best way to say that. It just plain sucks. Is sure. What, you know, but, um, so it's closely related to like, uh, MS or, you know, they, they put it sometimes in the same category as that, but it's a, it's, it's a depletion of protein in your body. And so it's harder for your you know, growth. And there's a lot of things associated with it. And I would encourage anybody to go check it out and see what it is, but it does. It's very rare. Um, it's like one in 500,000 people are diagnosed with it. And so we, uh, got in touch with a, a doctor up in Philadelphia who is an expert on it. Almost everybody that has this will see this guy at some point or hear about him. And he's a fantastic guy. I remember getting a phone call, uh, after calling the hospital and somebody called and said, Hey, uh, I heard you want to get, you know, Maxwell in and what's going on. And I said, Oh, I've, I've heard so much about Dr. Lynch and, and how much he knows. And I'd love to get him in there. And he's like, well, everybody calls me Dave. And it, so it was actually the doctor, this high doctor, you know, giving me a call, a personal call and talking to me about stuff. So we go to Philadelphia every six months now Wow. and, and visit with him. But, uh, yeah, Maxwell, you know, he's, he's tough, you know, he it, it puts things into perspective because um, I'm really proud of how he is. I, this year has been a little frustrating for him because all his kids are excelling. Um, last year was the first year that he was in his wheelchair full time, mm. and I think he sees that. But he's got amazing friends. He's got amazing community um, behind him, and uh, I, w- I would strongly suggest somebody go to the Fara. Um, it's the uh, Friedrichs Ataxia Research Alliance. Um, you can find them on the uh, internet and donate to them because they have some amazing scientists that we're hoping will push a cure soon. So. Sure. Well, I know that this is really uh, difficult to talk about, and we've talked a lot offline about this particular situation, and you know that I'm very connected with pediatric cancer research mm-hmm. and awareness and that's why I found it important for you to come on and talk about this because prior to meeting you, Jared, I had never even heard of Friedrich's ataxia. Is yep. That right? yep. Nailed it. Um, but hearing your experience and uh, 
specifically knowing the progression and some of the challenges that Max has faced, it's gut-wrenching. And knowing that you already struggle with you know, anxiety and depression at times, based on what we previously talked about, I know that when he was first diagnosed, that had to be like a, a gut punch. How did you cope in that moment when you heard? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of lost it. You know, I, I mean, as a father, that's your role is to protect your kids from things. Sure. You know, that's, yeah. that's your job. And that's, you want your child to have the best life they can. And I'm not saying that he can't. Max has his own journey. He's got sure. a story to write, you know. And I think he's going to be strong. I'm trying to give him the tools to be strong to get through this. And it's tough because I don't always have those tools. 100%. You know, and I, I uh, try to save face a lot of times when in, in times that are really difficult. And so uh, getting through that, coping, uh, it's a lot of talking with friends. That's how I cope. That's how I get through things. Just sure. talk with people and, and get different perspectives. And uh, I, I also dove way into it. Like I was, I joined forums. I joined, you know, I was doing research on it and everything like that because the more I know, the less I'm anxious about things. And so I, I just did a ton of research and stuff, but I found I had to step back because I'm on these forums and the people that are having issues on the forums we're we're not in those stages yet, so there's it's it's uh, it's not a good place to read about other people having these problems. It starts to mess with you mentally a sure. little bit too. So I had to step back a little bit. So every once in a while, I'll jump on there and try to find other people that are going through this. But there's communities, you know, um, being a, a a caretaker or a parent with a child with disability or um, with a disease or something like that, there's always communities that you can talk to. There's people that you can speak with that are going through the same thing and it really puts things into perspective. So, sure. Um, well, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned, um, a lot of folks, you know, they say venting is good sometimes, right? To sure. be able to talk through things. And what I find is, you know, talking about things, having friends, like mm-hmm. you said, is fantastic. But there is a moment where venting, it passes from just talking about it mm-hmm. to immersing yourself in negativity and drowning in it, right? Oh, yeah. And that's where, um, to your point about these forums, a lot of times, you know, remove Friedrich's ataxia, you know, anything. You're dealing with anxiety or stress or, you know, what Billy and Stephanie are doing at work or whatever it may be. And we get so wrapped up with all this stuff that's not working. Right. And wanting to educate ourselves on it or wanting to immerse ourselves in it or wanting to vent and it becomes overkill to the point where now it's just it's just driving a negative environment in our life. So acknowledging sure. that, like you said, and saying, man, I got to get the hell out of these forums is super important. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I want folks to take away from this particular episode is it's great to educate yourself. It, it's good to vent. It's awesome to have friends that you could talk to mm-hmm. about things. The whole purpose of a fundamentalism is gravitating more towards the things that lift you up as opposed to the things that tear you down. You know that being in those forums and you know that continuously dwelling on the things of what could happen with Maxwell is not going to help you get through the now uh, in his development and growth. Uh, Yeah. So fear, false expectations appearing real. Mm. Um, That's kind of where my head was at for a while. And there's times that I sleep in life, and we all do. Sure. We get in a rut. Not present, and, right? Yeah, just not present. And, you know, I've gone through that, and it 
it's hard because you start to focus on the negative things that are going on and and uh, you get scared about what can happen next. Sure. But you're absolutely right. If you live there, nothing's going to change. And, you know, you, as much as you can rely on your friends for talking and everything like that, eventually they want you to pull out of this too because they want to have fun with you like we've always had fun. You sure. Know? And so... Um, you know, you, you got to pull yourself out. And uh, I haven't always had the mental fortitude to do that or the grit, but I'm learning it daily, you sure. know, and uh, I'm actually in a good place right now. So um, to to really help Max, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm in a great place to help him and move forward and see what we can do to make, give him the best life. You sure. Know? So, well, and that's one thing too, that uh, I hope, and I could say this off air just as I could on, you know, you mentioned they as your friends. And I want to encourage you uh, to change that mindset just a little bit um, because we too are your friends, Larry and I myself. I say they, I, I'm, I'm I talking to you, you as mean. a professional yeah, I know. on the microphone. Um, but I want you to know that uh, I feel as though we don't talk enough and uh, we have a lot of similarities mm-hmm. in life. So I want you to feel like you could turn to us when you want to talk through these things. And, uh, and, the same offer is there because one thing that really helps me and I know you feel this way too is that moment and I know Larry feels this way too but that moment where you actually help somebody out and have good advice for them to take whether they take it or not you're given a piece of your life experience and giving it to that person and uh, you're leaving little bits of yourself all around with your friends and everything like that that to me is um, a really encouraging place. So instead of always taking the advice, giving some out as well. And I think that makes a more meaningful uh, relationship. And so anytime that you guys feel that way, my door is always open. Thanks, I, don't, man. I mean, whatever door, my car door. I uh, just heard just you say that you wanted me to leave more bits my, of myself around you and on you. Leave more of your bits. My barn door is always open. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle uh, to get out of whatever space you're in that you don't want to be in anymore. Gravitate more towards the things that lift you up. So you mentioned, yes, you talked to your friends, uh, you leaned on them when you needed support, but you also turned to one of the greatest outlets for you personally that you possibly could turn to. Cocaine. Cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? I always uh, I always quote the com- I can't remember which comedian said it, but he said, uh, "You know, I, I I've always hated cocaine, but I do love the smell of it." <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine me like in my energy level ever even trying cocaine? I can't imagine you off of it. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> I just assumed you were on it. I feel like my in my heart would just explode. I'm already so high energy. It's not something that I ever desire to uh, to. But hey. Do you, man? Do yeah. you, man? <laughs> uh, so, a groove for Maxwell. Yeah, groove for Maxwell. This is uh, this is something that I saw, and knowing the experience that you've had with with Max, and then listening to this particular song when we when we did uh, indulge in some fun that night. Fundamentals. Uh, listen to music with purpose. You played this song, and it was just super powerful. How the uh, how the emotion, how the song come about. Um, I actually remember the day that I wrote it, I had a little, uh, like bassinet thing that Maxwell was laying in and he was kind of, uh, he was probably two years old. Well, no, sorry. Way younger than that. 
uh, timelines are really skewed with me. I'll say last week. I don't even know like what year we're in now, now dude. Right? Yeah. It's 3021. <laughs> um, he, he was in a bassinet. He was, he was younger. It was last week. And <laughs> and I and I started coming up with this groove, and, and I noticed that um, when I played it and he had his eyes shut or whatever, his his foot would kind of like tap a little bit. And so I just kept going with it and stuck with it. And then he got old enough to come to my shows. And I would always say, this song is called Groove for Maxwell. And he would absolutely hate it. He didn't want his name being said on stage and, and whatever. So I had to change it for a long time to Groove for Dinosaurs because <laughs> if, he, if he was at the show, he didn't want me calling him out. And then uh, I remember having a conversation with him after one show, and I called it Groove for Dinosaurs. And he goes, you know, you can, you can call it Groove for Maxwell again. That's so cool. And so that was, a really, uh, that was a really cool thing to hear from him. Another, actually, I'll tell you this story. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, I used to listen to Tom Petty with Maxwell all the time. Mm. And I kid you not, this is the, one of the funniest things I've ever heard, but I was picking him up from uh, daycare and I had had a stressful day or whatever. And, and uh, it seemed like he had had a stressful day too. And so I pick him up and we're just kind of whatever I'm getting him in the car. And I used to take him on long trips so we could just listen to Tom Petty and, and uh, go home. And that would be kind of our, our, release or whatever and we got in the car i shut the door he's in there and he goes just put on some tom petty and take the long way home whoa <laughs> how old was he i don't he's probably like five maybe four or five something like that it was just of course the, you established earlier that you know nothing to timelines so right he was yeah, what, he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no he was he was younger i mean because he was still in daycare so it was just like I heard that, and I just—I mean, everything from the day just went away. You right. know, it was like I just cracked up, and we drove around. I think we drove from Topeka to like Wamego and back, just listening to Tom Petty and letting the day kind of go away. So that was that was a really cool. Isn't that amazing? Like just the power of music and how it resonates with folks. Uh, and again, just not continue to beat this this drum up, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted you here. Is um, before you came on, I was telling you about this this cold opener that I did the other day. Mm-hmm. It was Freddie Mercury's birthday and I was watching clips of uh, Live Aid on Twitter and I thought, man, what an amazing performer. So without practice, I'm a terrible singer. I don't have the gift that you have. I decided that I was going to do this cold opener. Now, full disclosure, the company that I started this with, uh, is it's called Uline Shipping. They're located in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they have you know branches all over, but this particular one was in um, Pennsylvania. And the bulk of their staff was uh, relatively new. They are fresh out of college within you know five years of their, their tenure. And they had a dynamic workforce. I mean, they had others, right? 20, 30 years of tenure. But the bulk of them, by and large, were younger individuals that mm-hmm. worked in these call centers. So they introduced me. Uh, the lady introduces me. And with zero context, I get up uh, with that Live Aid performance fresh in my mind. I go, hey, yo. And I point to them and they go, hey, yo. And I go, hey, yo. And they say, hey, yo. And then I go, hey, yo. And they repeat after me, right? Yeah. And so then I said, do you guys know what today is? No one knew what the hell today was, (laughs) except this one gentleman uh, that had worked for Uline for some time. And uh, fast forward, I think I learned that he was within, you know, 15, 20 years of his tenure there. Sure. And uh, he goes, it's Freddie Mercury's birthday. (laughs) 
and so he comes up to me after uh, after my keynote, and he says, "Hey, I just want to say thank you." And I said, "For what?" And he said, "I love Queen. I love Queen so much. You know that movie Bohemian Rhapsody it meant the world to me. I listened to them growing up. The most impactful thing that Queen does for me now it gives me the opportunity to connect with my daughter." And he said that his daughter is, I think he said she was like 12 or something like that. And like Maxwell, when you're mm-hmm. short with Maxwell, she says, you know, put on some queen and let's rock yeah. out, right? And so that is a moment where this this father and his daughter connect right. with something that he already has memories with. And that's the power of music. So you specifically wrote a song uh, for Maxwell and his journey. And uh, we are going to give the audience the opportunity to hear that song now. Groove for Maxwell. You wrote a song about it. You want to hear it? Here it go. Here it goes.
Another phenomenal job, man. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You are uh, one talented guy, as obviously you know, but I think that oftentimes people have heard me say this before. The one thing that we'll never get enough of in this world is appreciation. So um, I just want you to know how much joy seeing you play gives others and hearing specifically the message behind that particular song, how it came to you and what it means to you. It's powerful, and that's the whole mm. point of music. Right. So thank you very much, man. If somebody wanted to learn more about you, your music, uh, Friedrich's Taxia, you know, whatever it may be, where would they go? So um, you can look up Farah online. It's uh, Friedrich's Taxia Research Alliance. Um, and uh, they have all kinds of information and, and where you can donate to. Um, one, one particular, uh, gentleman with Friedrich's Ataxia started Ride Ataxia. So look into that. Would, I would love to get something like that started here in Kansas city or Topeka or wherever to help raise money for research. Um, as far as my music, my Facebook page really is the best place to get it. I, I have, I, I had a website that was up for a, a while that I always said under construction, <laughs> And there, it's still under construction. It's still under construction. Actually, I think I just let it go. It's now, it's been demolished. So uh, yeah, my Facebook page I think is probably the best place to to get a hold of me and maybe follow me on Instagram. But uh, it's just Jared Guth Music. Jared, is it pronounced Guth? Guth. Yeah. Because every time I I just want to say Guth. I know you do. I know. That's and, not it. No, I mean you don't. You don't have to have the inflections that you do. Oh, well, see, I like toying around with. So one fundamental is taking people's names and right. make it. So specifically, you asked me earlier if I ever toyed around <laughs> with the idea of. I would like you to change your name to uh, Paul J. Longbottom. <laughs> very rich, very rich. <laughs> Makes you sound <laughs> Paulbert. Paulbert J. Longbottom. Paulbert J. Longbottom. I'm going with it. Paulbert J. This is Paulbert J. Longbottom. Longbottom. Wishing you all a fantastic day, Jared. Thank you very much oh, for thank you. Uh, driving up from Topeka just to be with us today. You are a phenomenal human being and a very talented individual, uh, we encourage you to go check out Farah. Uh, Google it. It's something that's very, very rare. And one of the reasons why I wanted him on here is to help spread awareness because the more people know, the more they can help out. So thanks for the courage to opening your heart and telling Maxwell's story. And uh, as always, guys, we're challenging you to go find your fundamentals, create more fundamentalism in your life. The more you focus on the things that give you strength, the less these things that tear you down will matter to you. So go create some fun in your life today and potentially in the lives of others. We'll catch you on the flip side. And as always, deuces! Deuces!